brokenness, you're still with us. You never leave us. Thank you for your daily presence in our lives that we can be assured your heart is towards us. Your eyes are over us and your ears are open to our prayers. Help us to choose home with you each day. Thank you for the hope in Jesus we can carry all year through. And all God's people said, Amen. Our scripture is taken from the book of Psalm, and it's chapter 148, and it's found in your pew Bible, page 571. This psalm is a most solemn and earnest call to all creatures according to their capacity to praise their creator and to show forth his eternal power. We are charged to go tell it on the mountain. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels, forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind, fulfilling his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This time this morning, we've reached our second scripture reading, our gospel lesson, and it comes from Luke's gospel, the second chapter. And I'm going to ask that you stand with me as I read this morning from the gospel of Luke. The second chapter, I'm going to be reading verses 41 through 52. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
but they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother, mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you in humble submission. Lord, we thank you for who you are, the plans that you have for us as your people, this work that you desire to do within us. As we spoke the other evening, you have desired in your heart to welcome us home, to call us your children, your beloved sons and daughters. And Lord, we thank you for those who have taken that step of faith. We thank you for those in whom faith is still being cultivated today. And Lord, as they draw a little bit closer to you, we pray that, Lord, they would incrementally get closer until that day when they would come to know you and walk in your way. And Lord, for those who have taken that step, who have acknowledged you to be Lord of life, and in particular, the Lord of their lives, we pray that today and in the days to come, they would take those steps to submit a little bit more fuller to you and to your will and your way. So Lord, open our eyes that we might see your truth today. Unclog our ears that we might hear your voice afresh and anew. And Lord, give us hearts that are soft and malleable, ready to go live out your truth for the honor and the glory of your name. And now, Lord, I ask humbly that you would speak through me this morning, or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that you, we, your people, would be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name, to his honor and glory, we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, you may be seated. Well, over the years, I've come to be convinced that greeting card companies and morning radio hosts are slowly co-opting our calendars. Now, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek this morning. I'm not trying to start a cultural war of any means, but I say that because, in truth, we have had this new wellspring of holidays popping up all around us. There are now holidays honoring blueberry pancakes. And for those of you who like that breakfast food, it may be a day that you look forward to with eager anticipation to when those blueberry pancakes come out in stacks and you can pour syrup over them and lather them with butter. I don't know. For others, there's National Mac and Cheese Day. I do like that one. <laughs> Give me some mac and cheese and some barbecue sauce and we can sing the praises of mac and cheese all day long. And then there's National Talk Like a Pirate Day. <laughs> Bill, if we happen to have a leadership team meeting on National Talk Like a Pirate Day, we're all going to have to practice our R's because we could vote like pirates. But in reality, cards, decorations, gifts, all number of things can be purchased along with these special days. But lost along some of the fun, the tongue-in-cheek, the... Just the humor in all those sorts of things are their traditional feasts and fasts and festivals, which both the Jews and Christians throughout the years have celebrated together. Many in our society have no clue as to why we have large feasts and festivals that are part of the Christmas and Easter holidays that are celebrated the world over. On Friday and Saturday, many of us sat down with family and friends and we had veritable smorgasbords before us. We celebrated the giving and receiving of gifts. And maybe there were a few other traditions that are unique to your family. But as we did so, I'm sure that relatively few 
of us stop to actually consider where this tradition of feasting began. Most of us take stuffing ourselves with food at Christmas for granted. It's just something our families have always done, something that we look forward to with eager anticipation each and every year. But historically, this tradition of feasting was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for God's people to gather together over a shared meal and remember God's mighty acts, the ways that God had moved historically in the life of his people, the way that God had provided for his people again and again. And they would take time year after year, feast after feast, to recount God's mighty acts of salvation. And so traditionally, the family would gather around the table, and often there would be a narrative, a story concerning how God had saved his people, how he had redeemed them, how he had walked with them. And at first, those stories were oral. They were entirely passed on from one generation to the next around those dinner tables. Eventually, they'd be written down, they'd be codified, but still, God's people would gather together. They would read those stories, and sometimes they would read them in very dramatic tellings with people acting out various parts of the story. But again and again, as they enjoyed that meal, as they enjoyed one another's company, they also took time as part of these feasts to remember God's providence, His goodness, His mercy. So the feast became this ritual in and through which people engaged in worshiping and bringing honor and glory to God as a family. And that was especially true for the Hebrews and for the earliest Christians. And in particular for the Jewish folks, the feast of Passover was one that you didn't want to miss out on. Any and all Jews who had scattered abroad over the course of their lives, if at all possible, they would return to Jerusalem, this sacred and holy city, to celebrate. And as they gathered together, it was a grand and it was a glorious celebration. The events of God's passing over and sparing the firstborn of Israel was recounted and remembered in any number of ways. But the whole celebration would culminate with the family bringing the Paschal lamb to the temple to be sacrificed. And together, the men of the family would watch as the priest prepared and then as they roasted that lamb its head, its feet, its entrails removed because these things were unclean. And if they were left in the animal, it would make that animal and that sacrifice unclean as well. And then after that lamb was roasted, the entire family would sit down together and they would eat that lamb. They would eat that lamb along with some matzo and some some bitter herbs. And they would, again, tell the story of how God had saved and redeemed his people, the way he had passed over and watched over them. The Feast of Passover, as well as the other two pilgrim feasts, those of Shavat and Sukkot, they were unlike anything that probably you or I have ever experienced. Because in addition to the ritual, in addition to the sacrifice, which encountered all the senses, these were pilgrim feasts. It meant people that had traveled far, people who had moved off, now returned home. It was an annual pilgrimage. And the streets of Jerusalem, because of those pilgrimages, they were overflowing. They were overwhelmed with people. Thousands upon thousands of people would descend upon the city. There would be joy. There would be festival. There would be a time of worship. 
There would be commemoration. There would be celebration. The whole city would have been abuzz. I thought, what's the closest we may experience? Well, if you've been to Walmart or Target on Christmas Eve, that might be the closest to that abuzz sense that we get. People just filling every nook and cranny, every square foot. Cheer on our lips. Merriment on our faces. But the entire city of Jerusalem was like that. Every square inch filled with people who had gathered together to worship, to commemorate, to celebrate what God had done. But this was a day without Airbnb. This was a day where there wasn't Expedia or a kayak. And so people were also looking for places to stay. They would have lined the streets as they made their way to the temple and they would have been also lining the streets waiting waiting for some place where they could lay their head at night. But think about it. People lining up, waiting with their sacrifices. Waiting to make their sacrifices. It would have been a noisy thing. It would have been a bloody thing. All those sacrifices, all those lambs being slaughtered. All those lambs bleeding. And if you were a man, you would also stand there and you would watch as the priest then put that lamb upon the spit. And as that lamb cooked, there was a quorum of 30 that was required by the law. And they would observe that the sacrifice was done perfectly, that every detail was cared for, that every minute thing was done down to the letter of the law. This wasn't something done in isolation. This was a community affair. And then in addition to the 30 who stood there and watched, in addition to the men of the family who were there, there was also a group of Levites, a group of holy men. But they weren't responsible for caring for the details of the sacrifice. No, they would stand there and they would sing songs as the sacrifice was being offered up. And while all this was taking place, there was the din of the crowd behind you. People waiting in line who could be heard talking, who could be heard telling the story to their children as they waited in line. There were still others who had just made that sacrifice who were now returning home, trying to find places to stay. There were still others in the city who were going about their daily lives. And then once that lamb was cooked, it became the responsibility of the family to eat that together in one sitting. And they would feast upon that lamb, eating it and eating it and eating it until they couldn't eat anymore. The whole thing was overwhelming, really. It was an event filled with sights and sounds and smells, tactile things that you would touch. Senses were bordering on overload. And so it's within that context that we read today's scripture. We can understand maybe in that context with the streets abuzz, with all the sacrifices taking place, with the singing and the shouting, the storytelling, the feasting, we can understand why maybe Mary and Joseph have become disconnected from their son. It would have been easy for them to get caught up in that moment, as many of us would have, to be overwhelmed, to be distracted, 
to be entranced by all that was taking place right there in front of them in that very moment. And all the hustle and the bustle with all these streets lined with people, it would be easy for a young boy to slip away from his family. It'd be easy for him to get lost in the crowd. It'd be easy for Mary and Joseph to think maybe he's with the relatives or the other families who have come with us. So they began that journey home. They began that journey home trusting that someone else Someone that they know, someone that they love, someone whose family is looking out for their child. But after a day of journeying, after a day of trekking home without seeing their son, they become alarmed. Jesus hasn't shown up and no one seems to know where he is. So off go Mary and Joseph. Back to the city where they had just been back to Jerusalem where they had been with Jesus to make the sacrifices to celebrate this feast, to commemorate Passover. And we're told that for days they looked for him, for days they searched for him, they searched high and they looked low, they looked everywhere they possibly could, hoping to find Jesus. Among the crowd they hunted for him, among the family members they asked, And eventually, they found him. Eventually, they find Jesus. And he's in the temple courts. He, this boy, was talking with the pastors, the theologians, some of the brightest minds of his day. And we can imagine what they're talking about. They're probably discussing theology and philosophy, scripture, ethics, all these things that were regularly discussed in that place. And we're told the young Jesus was listening. He was taking it all in. But he was also asking questions. He was engaging with these minds in ways that left everyone astounded. And when Mary and Joseph found Jesus, they were astounded as well. They're astonished that their son is sitting there carrying on this deep conversation with some of the smartest and the brightest people in all the world. But we're also told that Mary is astonished by something else. How so seemingly careless and irresponsible the young Jesus could be to do this, to stay in Jerusalem when everyone knew how busy the city was. And when he knew full well that everyone was packing up to return home. But Jesus' response, it catches Mary off guard. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Or as the King James puts it, did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? And in reality, Jesus is right. Mary and Joseph should have known where Jesus was. I mean, after all, they had been visited by the angel Gabriel before even giving birth. And as we've noted many times throughout this Advent season, they had that angelic proclamation that they clung to. It explained to them that Jesus was not going to be any ordinary kid. 
It was going to be a child who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin who was very God of very God. He was going to be and is the promised Messiah and Savior. Amen? That announcement. That announcement in and of itself might have clued Mary and Joseph into where Jesus could be found. It probably could have clued them into the fact that Jesus was going to be different than all the other little children. That while he likely enjoyed playing soccer or maybe playing tag out in the streets as the other children did, it wasn't going to be the primarily driving focus in his life. No, his passions... Passions were going to be different than those of other average kids, ordinary kids. Yet Mary and Joseph seemed to forget, at least for a time, what the angel declared. Like us, they get caught up in the moment. And don't we often get caught up in those moments? The worry, the fear, the anxiety of the present seem to threaten to overwhelm those in those moments. Where is he? Or maybe they did remember. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, we didn't just lose any kid, we lost the Messiah. (laughs) We lost the Savior. Maybe the pressure for them is even greater. Whether it was the ordinary pressures of the moment or whether it was that extraordinary burden that they felt, we don't really know. But this we do know. Jesus still had so much to do. God the Father still had so much that He was going to accomplish through His Son, but none of it would happen in an instant. And really, isn't there a lesson in that for us? Faith cannot be rushed. As theologian and author Eugene Peterson famously quipped, faith is a long obedience in the same direction. It can't be microwaved. It's not instant rice. It doesn't happen with the snap of a finger. Mary and Joseph would discover this. The disciples would discover it. Mary and Joseph would return with Jesus to Nazareth. They would watch as he grew and as he matured. They would note that he would increase in wisdom and in years. That he would grow in favor both with God and others. But again... It's growing, it's maturing, it's not instantaneous. Again, God's work takes time. Faith would take time for Mary and Joseph, it would take time for the disciples. But I love what Scripture says, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. We heard those words on Christmas Eve. It would not be until some 18 years after the events of today's Scripture passage that Luke would resume the account of Christ. By the time that we turn the page, by the time that we get to Luke chapter 3, the boy Jesus has become a man. A man of approximately 30 years of age. What was it that happened in those years? He increased in wisdom and understanding. He grew in favor both in God's eyes and in the favor of those around about him. But as to the rest, only God knows. Only Jesus and Mary have that knowledge as to what happened. Luke doesn't record it. John doesn't share it. Mark doesn't see it as important to our faith. 
Matthew doesn't share those details. But this much is clear. As Jesus emerges in the third chapter of Luke's gospel, he's ready to embrace his divine mission. And Mary emerges stronger. She's different. She's a more fully formed follower of Jesus. She has a better understanding of who Jesus is and exactly what he's come to do, what God has in store for him. One would imagine that over the course of those almost two decades, Mary took all those things that she had treasured in her heart, that she too increased in understanding, that those things that she treasured in her heart helped to cultivate a deeper faith, that with God's help, she had a deeper appreciation for what Christ had come to do. Friends, as we head into this new year, I want to remind you that faith takes time. Spiritual formation, growing and maturing, becoming those fully formed followers of Jesus Christ, it takes time. Maybe in 2021, you felt like you were stuck in a rut. Maybe you spent a lot of the year anxious and worried. Maybe you struggled to find peace. Maybe like Mary and Joseph, you felt like you spent a lot of the year just running about frantically. Frantically because it seemed like you had lost something of great importance. If that's you, I want to encourage you this morning, know this. God has been at work even though it may not have seemed it. And know this, God is still at work. Know that some of God's best work can and often does take place in those times and in those seasons of life where it appears like there's silence. It often takes place in those times where we feel like we're overwhelmed because it's there that we learn to cling to Him in faith in entirely new ways. My prayer for you as we enter into this 2022 year regardless of what 2021 has been for you. My prayer is that your faith would increase. That God's grace would abound in your heart and life in ways that you would treasure both now and forevermore. And may 2022 be that year for all of us where we cling to Christ a little bit more deeply, where we walk a little bit more closely with Him each and every day. Amen? And amen. I'm going to ask this morning as you bow with me in prayer. And then we'll join together in the Lord's Prayer, which can be found on that back pane of your bulletin. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks afresh and anew to us. And Lord, we thank you for Mary and Joseph, for their faithfulness and being part of that plan of salvation that you were bringing to bear on the world. And Lord, we thank you even this morning for a glimpse into their struggles, the challenges that they faced. We thank you for their humanness, for their panic, for their anxiety, for the lack of peace. Lord, if we're at all honest, we all experience those things from time to time, and maybe this last year has brought a lot of that for some of us. Maybe there are challenges that we've not even given voice to. But Father, we thank you that in those moments where we don't really perceive what you're up to, you're still at work. 
We thank you that Jesus was exactly where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing. We thank you that your work continues in our lives, even when we don't see it. In fact, oftentimes, it's only as we look back a year or two or many more removed from a season of life, it's only then that we can see how you had been at work all along. So Lord, we pray that in this coming year, we would cling to you in faith a little more tightly, that our love for you would increase by leaps and bounds. That Lord, in those moments where we grow anxious, we would learn to look to you in faith. Accomplish your work in us, we pray, that you might accomplish it through us in the days, the weeks, the months, and the years to come. And now as we continue in prayer, we pray as Jesus himself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.